When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Looks to me as if they're going to bowl underarm off the last ball. Rod Marsh is saying no, mate, but I'm sure he's going to bowl an underarm delivery on the last ball and bowl it along the ground and be sure that it has not been hit for six. The umpires have been told, the batsmen have been told, and this is possibly a little bit disappointing. Let's make sure it is an underarm, but I've got the feeling, as a big ex-Victorian skipper, they're going to bowl an underarm. We haven't believed it. That's a disappointing finish. Disappointed Brian McKechnie, the crowd boom, and it's all over. Let me just tell you what I think about it. I think it was a disgraceful performance from a captain who got his sums wrong today, and I think it should never be permitted to happen again. Now, that is on this day in 1981, and we've got former Australian skipper on the line, legend of the game and all-around great bloke, Greg Chappell. Good morning, Greg. How are you? And firstly, what happens you know, in your mind when you listen to that? I'm sure you've never spoken about it, right? <laughs> <laughs> G'day, Trent. Um, yeah, I wouldn't have expected uh, we'd still be talking about it 43 years later, but anyway. Um, yeah, look... Um, it, it's not one of the better moments that uh, I get to reflect on. Um, it does come up fairly regularly at cricket functions. I've probably answered the question about a million times, <laughs> I reckon, since um, since the day. Um, it, it doesn't change much. Um, you know, the, the, the difficult part, probably for people to understand, is it had very little to do with what was going on on the field on that day. Um, that was part of it, obviously, but... Um, there was a lot of stuff going on around the team and, and cricket at the, at the time, not least of all around the MCG and the, the standard of the pitches that we were copying at the MCG at the time. And we were, I was in the middle of plenty of discussions on a regular basis, um, almost a daily basis, particularly every time we played at the MCG about, you know, to the cricket board about getting better facilities they didn't own the ground, so they would go to Cricket Victoria, who didn't own the ground. They would go to the Melbourne Cricket Club, and basically the Melbourne Cricket Club didn't seem to, to care very much, which was a great shame because, you know, the Melbourne Cricket Ground was the focal point of Australian cricket from around the world. It was sort of seen as the centre of Australian cricket, and to serve up those sort of conditions consistently at the MCG... It was disappointing from everyone's point of view, except it seems to um, the MCC at the at the time. So it was um, a decision that was made on the spur of the moment. It wasn't something that I'd, I'd thought about, but I saw my, um, Brian McKechnie walking out to bat. Um, New Zealand couldn't win the game. They needed six to, to tie the game. And it was really just basically that my thinking as he walked out to bat was that, you know, I've had a gut full of this and 
this is what I think of it. And, um, you know, it was probably about as good a decision that um, I was in a, a, a state of mind to be able to make at that stage. So probably the point, I didn't hear Bill's or, or Richie's commentary until much later, <clears throat> but probably the the most notable thing of that day was the kids used to run on the ground. At the end of the game, they'd jump the fence and run out on the ground and, and hundreds, thousands of them did that day. And I was fielding down at Long On and so I had about a 100-metre dash to the player's gate to get off the ground and I couldn't get off the ground fast enough. The kids were running across and the young girl, I mean, she may have, may have been around about 10, <clears throat> jumped the fence and she was running across and I slowed down to let her sort of run in, in front of me. But as she ran in front, she turned and I was wearing long sleeves at the time and she just grabbed my sleeve and tugged on it. And I looked down and she looked up at me and she said, you cheated. And I thought, hmm, maybe it's not going to be all that well received. <laughs> um, and here we are 40 odd years later. So there you go. So that was your initial reception from a fan. What was it like moments after in the dressing sheds, I guess, surrounded by your teammates and, and then media and then the general public and, and those sort of things in the, the hours and the days following? Um, Michael, it was pretty quiet in the dressing room. Um, I, got, I got into the dressing room probably one of the first in the dressing room, I guess, and everyone sort of filed in after that and no one was saying a word. And I didn't say anything and nobody was probably game to say anything. I think everyone was stunned pretty much. So I realised that uh, the, the guys probably needed a bit of space and I needed a bit of space. So I, I went and had a shower and left them to it, let them talk amongst themselves. Um, while I was in the shower, we had a one-day game in, in Sydney. That was a Sunday, obviously. Uh, Tuesday, we had a one-day in, in Sydney. We were flying up to... Sydney on the Monday, except for the Sydney-based players who were going home that night. And while I was under the shower, I thought, you know what, Melbourne's probably not a great place for me to be tomorrow morning, particularly at the Melbourne airport where you are pretty much a sitting duck. Um, so I, I came out of the shower and went to our team manager, John Edwards, and said, uh, John, um, maybe you could get me on a flight tonight with the Sydney boys. It might be just a good idea for me to be in in Sydney tomorrow rather than Melbourne. Um, mind you, it didn't make that much difference. But um, So I, I flew out with, there was um, Doug Walters, Trevor, my brother, um, Lenny Pascoe, might have been someone else, I can't think who, oh, Graham Beard maybe, and myself. There were about four or five of us anyway. And I was in a, in a cab with, um, with Doug and Trevor, I think, and, we were about halfway to the airport and Doug said, um, well, there were 60,000 people at the MCG today who felt very much the same as I did at the end of the movie, The Sting. What the bloody hell happened there? That <laughs> 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 so was pretty much the, the icebreaker. And um, actually, I think Len was in the car and Len, um, Len and Doug started going and, uh, you know, it sort of broke the ice and... Um, we, we started talking about it a little bit, but not a not a great deal. I think sort of everyone sort of understood. You know, they they had been around obviously and seen what was going on around the the team and how I was regularly in in meetings with David Richards, uh, secretary of the cricket board at the time, and um, 
the frustration that we all felt playing on, on the MCG. And, you know, Coach, you've been on the MCG. It's a very big ground. Yeah. And, you know, when I went to speak to the secretary of the Melbourne Cricket Club about trying to get better conditions, he said, well, what's the problem? It's the same for both sides. And I said, well, that's not the point. Yeah. And he said, well, anyway, he said, you get the you get the same scores here that you get at the other ground, so I don't see the problem. And I said, well, you know, you don't understand. As captain, this is the biggest ground in the world. Um, I look around sometimes and wonder where half my fielders have gone because the gaps are so big. And, you know, if you gave us a different, a decent pitch here, we'd get scores close to 300 because the ground is just impossible to defend. And it was a full-size ground in those days. And there was 100 metres between fine leg and square leg. So there were huge gaps and there were lots of areas that, A, you could hit boundaries, but, you know, twos and threes, fours were run reasonably regularly at the MCG in the day because the gaps were, were so big. So we'd have made scores much, uh, you know, much bigger than the, the, the other grounds just because the size of the M- MCG. But anyway, um, we were sitting around having, a, just going back a step, we're sitting around having a few beers with some of the... Uh, New Zealand guys, and they were sort of lamenting the fact that you know we got such big crowds in uh, in Australia for cricket, but they couldn't attract a crowd in in New Zealand because you know rug, rugby was the main sport and cricket was a sort of second cab off the rank, and they just couldn't attract crowds. And I said, well, leave it with me for a couple of days, and we'll see what we can work out. <laughs> so we we filled the grounds in New Zealand the next year when we went there. So um, <laughs> obviously it did something. Yeah, no doubt it did. Uh, Greg, you've had many roles within Australian cricket, no less the Australian captaincy. But as you've moved later into your career and even up to now, touch points at different stages, one of them a selector, but you've been heavily involved with the Australian cricket team over many years. Mitchell Marsh last night on, at the Australian Cricket Awards, we've been talking all morning about his acceptance speech. You know Swamp, you know Sean, uh, having been a selector when he was at the outset of his test career. And I'm not sure if you were physically in the chair when Mitch started but how great is it for people that know Mitch as a person that they're starting to see him, his authentic self, and the country are just falling in love with him? Yeah, look, Mitch is the whole Marsh family. They're a great family and very talented, obviously. And um, Mitch is undoubtedly the most talented of the lot, you know, a great all-round cricketer, terrific bloke, captain the um, Australian under-19 team in uh, 2010 when we won the uh, the World Cup, he's been you know he's a natural leader. Um, people warm to him. You, you saw the authentic uh, Mitch last night. You know his teammates, everybody just um, is attracted to him and, and warm to him. I'm just so pleased that he is doing at the top level what we all hoped that he would do years ago. And um, you know he's, he's shown moments of it uh, up until just recently, but in recent times. You know, the authentic Mitch. And he's let himself go. He's just, you know, obviously been prepared to take the risks, and which you have to do. I mean, if, if you want to make runs at the highest level, you've got to risk getting out. You've got to play a few shots. Yeah. Um, if, you, if you want to get wickets, you, you've got to risk getting hit for four. So, you know, it, it, it's, a, it's a game of risk management. Uh, life is, a, is, a, is about risk management. Um, and, you know, I think Mitch was probably just a little bit tentative in his, in his early days. And he's thrown caution to the wind. And, and what a player. I mean, he hits the ball as hard as anyone's ever hit the ball without trying to hit the ball hard. Yeah. 
you know, he's, he's a big man. Um, he bowls a, a heavy ball. He's um, you know, he's just a very good good cricketer, and you know I hope he can keep this up for quite a few years to come. And just on the the Australian top six, are, are you comfortable with Steve Smith batting at at opener and Cam Green at four? What would your makeup of, of the top six look like? I think that's the best top six, you know, the best six batsmen in the country, and that's what you want that in your in your top six, and you, you find places for them. Um, you know, just work out how to you know, get the best lineup you can get. You know, I've, I've felt for a while now, probably um, started thinking it last season, that Steve's getting to that stage of his career where it, it gets harder. You know, it, I remember having a conversation with Sachin Tendulkar when I was coaching India years ago. Sachin came to me and he said, why does batting get harder? Surely it should get easier. I said, well, the problem is that when you're younger, you don't think much about anything other than see the ball, hit the ball, and, and looking to score runs. As you start to have success, you feel the responsibility, but the opposition also see you as a threat. So they put a lot more work into you and, and make scoring runs that much harder. Plus, you've played on this ground before, and you know that the pitch will do this, it's got this sort of tricks, it's a bit up and down, whatever it is, you've got a lot more thoughts going on in your mind. And Humans, as they get older, become more conservative. You don't get more adventurous as you as you get older because you know the you know, the things that can go wrong, and that's the stage that Steve is at with his batting. and And you start to realise that if you are not one hundred percent switched on mentally, then making runs at that level consistently is very hard work. And you get to the point where you're not sure you want to work that hard anymore. And I think Steve's been going through that for a little while. And, and waiting to go into bat is probably the worst part of it. Mm. Where you, you know, you're sitting there and whether you want to or not, the thoughts start sneaking into your mind you know, just about the things that can go wrong and how hard it can be. And I think Steve was at, is at the stage where he needed a new challenge and he probably wanted to get out there straight away rather than sit and wait for however long. And, you know, I think this could be a masterstroke. I, you know, I really think we started to see in Brisbane what he's capable of. Um, we know what he's capable of. But he can make runs anywhere. And room had to be found in that batting order for Cameron Green. You know, Cameron's probably going through a little bit that uh, Mitch Marsh went through early in his career that, He's trying to be a little bit careful at the moment. I think he's just got to relax and, and let his natural talent shine through because he is a quality batsman. He, uh, you know, is probably you know in that batting lineup. He is the superstar of the next generation if he can work out batting at that level. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right, and we've seen it from Travis Head, from Mitchell Marsh, and other players during the early phase of their career figuring out. How to be comfortable in your own skin is a big part of it, not just your raw ability. Greg, thanks so much for your time this morning talking about it's been 40-odd years on this day, the underarm ball. Thanks for your uh, candor. Thanks for your talking about the moments in the change rooms. As always, Greg, thanks for joining us. Cheers, Trent. Thanks, Michael.